Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. Well, our sermon passage this morning as we continue through 1 John is a little bit of a larger chunk here. It's 1 John chapter 2 starting in verse 18 to 25. 1 John chapter 2, 18 to 25. Little children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts this morning be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And may we rely on your Son, Jesus Christ, to be a light to our path, and may the life of the Spirit abide in us this day and evermore. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Now Paul warns us, Paul warns us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says these words, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies of hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. That's Paul in 1 Timothy 4. Peter warns us in his first epistle, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. You can kind of see a theme happening here. The writer of Hebrews begins his letter this way. He says these words. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And John, the writer of this epistle, he wrote in his revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, Things which must, which must shortly take place. And he ends his introduction in the book of Revelation with these words. For the time is near. For the time is near. Now being the products of American Christian culture, we can often gloss over these sober and urgent warnings to the first century church. We can automatically assume that this is some other time. This is some other event. This is some event in the future, maybe soon, 
maybe a long way away. But if we want to be faithful to the scriptures, we have to believe what it plainly says, and we have to deal with it as what it plainly says. An end is truly at hand for this new, for this new church in the first century. These words mean something for them. When, when, they, when the apostles say, the end is near, it is for these, for these people, this audience that they are writing to. There will be men who try to deceive you, try to hurt you, or even kill you. These are practical warnings that the apostles are giving the church. There will be wars, there will be rumors of wars, Jesus says. There will be great suffering. These pastors are not warning their people from something, about something that will not take place for them. These pastors are warnings, warning them about things that will take place in the first century. These words are for them and for that specific time and for their specific trials. So when John mentions that the old world is passing away in verse 17, that was last week, he tells us in the next verse what that will look like so that they can be on guard. He's saying this is what the end of the world will look like. This is the last hour. We are in the last hour and this is what it will look like. He says it is the last hour. And not only is it the latter times, not only is it the end of the world, it's the last hour at the ending of the world. This means that the old world prior to Christ's incarnation is about to end any day now. The temple, the sacrifices, the washings, they've all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the unlawful rules of the Pharisees and Sadducees, along with the yoke of sin and bondage that they put on the first century church, those are ending as well. All of that is ending. But John's point here is that the old world doesn't go down without a fight. And it will fight to the very end. And this is why John is warning the church not to heed the teachings of those who wish to drag them back to the yoke of bondage to sin. The old world is marked by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And that old world has been conquered in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. But John shows us that there are still those who will try to pull us, pull the church back into that old world. They want to keep that old world that is fading away. And John calls these men antichrists. Antichrist. Now notice that he highlights one antichrist in particular who is coming to his audience, most likely coming to the church at Ephesus. This was John's local church at the time. And he's highlighting one antichrist. And it's important to know here that these antichrists are distinguished from the layperson in the pews. These are not just normal people who deny that Jesus is the Christ. John says they went out from us, but they were not from us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Now he's not talking about, again, the person in the pews who ends up leaving the faith. This language about they went out from us. This is language that was uh, used to describe the apostles going out from Jesus. The disciples of Christ going out from Jesus to prepare his way to Israel. He's talking about false teachers. 
who went out from the apostles. And Luke 10.1 shows us this. Luke 10.1 says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. This is added on to the apostles. 70 others also, and sent them out two by two before, before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. That's what Luke says. There were many disciples sent out with the apostles into various cities and various regions to prepare the way of Christ and his ministry to Israel. They went out of Israel. They went out of the disciples of Jesus, but they were not truly of them. You can think of Judas being one of those men as well, right? He went out from the apostles. He went out from them, but he was not of them. So this Antichrist that John warns the Ephesian church about, probably the Ephesian church, is a false teacher that he hears is coming to them. He's coming their way. He's going to visit them. He's going to talk to them. Now this is where church history kind of comes in handy, right? Who is John talking about? Well, we have a, we have a word from a, a very uh, a good source named St. Uh, Irenaeus, who knew he was a disciple of John. He knew John. And we have word of a very famous heretic who interacted with John at the time. That people knew this man. His name was Serenthus. Serenthus. Now, Serenthus is probably the Antichrist being described here by John. He had visited Ephesus around the time that John probably penned this letter and is talked about by those who knew John well. He was, he was a Jew and he, taught about, uh, he talked about those, uh, those issues surrounding Christ's, uh, Christ's Christness, right? His, his Messiahness. And he is talked about by those who knew John well. So he believed that Jesus... Received, received Christ at his baptism. Right? He views Jesus and Christ as different. He views Jesus as a man who receives Christ at his baptism. And then before he, he enters into his passion and death, Christ leaves him. This was Serenthus' view. So this denies the Messiahship of Jesus, the Christness of Christ. St. Irenaeus, a disciple of John, remarked that, that Serenthus is one of the chief reasons why John probably penned his gospel and his epistles. Now, it makes sense, right? If he had this view that Jesus was separated from Christ, that John would start his gospel with the incarnation of the Word of God made flesh. He starts his gospel with the incarnation, with the fact that God took on human flesh and dwelt among us. And then he ends the gospel with St. Thomas touching Jesus' side, right? He touched Jesus' physical body and wounds. He touched truly God and truly man after the resurrection. So it is likely that Serenthus is the Antichrist described by John. This is somebody who had influence. They knew who this man was. And he was coming their way, and John was warning them. But this idea of false teachers being among the disciples and making themselves manifest is not new to John. Paul explains, while explaining Titus's reason for circumcision in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says this, And this occurred, the circumcision, because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth 
to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So Paul had no patience for these types of divisive men. He had no patience for those who would bring Christians back into the bondage of the law under the old ways of the world. The law had been fulfilled in Christ. It looks different. And these teachers are called Antichrist. They teach the opposite of that which was given to them from the beginning. They teach the opposite of what Christ taught, of what the apostles and prophets taught, of what the whole scripture is all about. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. And in in denying that Jesus is the Christ, they deny the Father and the truth is not in them. But, he says, John exclaims here, he he pauses and he goes back to the church and he says, But you, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. These false teachers are liars, but you know the truth because you've been anointed by the Holy One. Now this anointing that the true church received has given them knowledge. They know all things. Now, what does he mean by this? What is this, what is this anointing that he is talking about? Well, John uses this word in his gospel, and he uses this word anointing in the gospel of John, chapter 9. He says, Jesus, he spat on the ground and made clay with, with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So Jesus enlightened the eyes of the blind man so that he can see. And in the same way, the Lord grants us his spirit and enlightens our hearts and our minds so that we truly know the Son. So that we truly know all things pertaining to eternal life in Christ. The anointing described by John is the giving of the Holy Spirit of truth. The light of God, Paul says, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this knowledge that we receive is given to us by the spirit of truth. Contrary to the world around us, the church is to be marked by the truth that Jesus is the Christ. And if we have seen him and if we know him, then we have seen the father and we know the father. And this is what it means to know all things. We know all things in that we know Christ, who created all things, who is the wisdom of God, who fills all things with that wisdom. In Christ, in Jesus, we know all things pertaining to eternal life. St. Anselm famously wrote these words, For I do not seek to understand that I may believe, but I believe in order to understand. I believe in order to understand. Belief is the, is the uh, uh, condition of true understanding. Any understanding of the truth starts with believing that Jesus is the Christ. It starts with faith. It starts with faith. Paul tells us that we have the mind of Christ. Those who have received Christ have his mind. 
And because we possess the wisdom of Christ by the Spirit of God, we are to reject the lies of this world and the lies of those who reject our Christ. The church is to be marked by the truth. Jesus said he came into the world to what? So that he could bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears the voice of Christ. The Proverbs say, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you believe, you will receive that truth. But there are still some who wish to corrupt that truth with lies. And this is what John is talking about. John gives the church a litmus test for these liars. How do you know it's a lie? How do you know they're lying? If they deny that Jesus is the Christ. That is a litmus test. They are antichrist. And an antichrist denies the Father and the Son. Remember that the one who has seen the Son has seen the Father. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, Hebrews says. So if there is a teacher like Serenthus who denies that Jesus uh, is fully God and fully man, he is not just wrong, he hates Christ and he divides the body of Christ. Such a man is to be admonished by the church leaders. Paul tells Titus to reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. There's not a lot of patience for those who deny that Jesus is the Christ. The church has an old tradition, a long-standing tradition, of rejecting false teachers. Jesus is speaking about those who lead the little children astray uh, when, he, when he talks about it's better for you to, uh, to tie a millstone around their neck and to toss them into the sea, right? He's talking about literal children being led astray, but it still applies to the church. How much more for the little children of the church to lead the children of God away from the truth of Christ? It would be better for a millstone to be tied around that person's neck and drowned in the sea than to, re- than to receive the righteous wrath of God. So John is warning us to avoid these men. Don't entertain them. Don't, don't hang out with them. Avoid these men. Now, who are these men today? Right? We, we realize that he's talking to a, a particular audience. He, he may even have a particular person in mind for this audience. But what about today? Who are these antichrists today? Now, I won't be getting into a whole bunch of uh, you know, don't, don't talk to these people, don't talk to these people, right? But in a day in which anyone can kind of call themselves an authority, who are these false teachers? Now, there's some obvious ones out there, some obvious ones that the church has already dealt with, and these would be called the occults or, or, or heresies. So we have the Mormons, we have the Jehovah's Witnesses who deny truly who Christ is. We have Muslims, we have modern Jewish traditions. We have liberal Christians who deny the holy words of Scripture. But in total, in sum, those who deny that Jesus is the Christ are described as antichrists. If they deny who Jesus is, as described in our holy Scriptures, they deny Christ. If a teacher says that Jesus was just a good moral teacher... He wasn't God. He 
he was just a good moral teacher, he or she, if they are a teacher, is an antichrist. If a teacher denies that Jesus has fulfilled the law of God and pits Jesus' words over and against the words of the Old Testament, that person is antichrist. They deny that Jesus is the Christ promised in the word of God. But we must remember that there is a difference here being, being laid out in Scripture. There's a difference between those who teach these heresies and those who are deceived by them. Okay? There's a difference between those. Sometimes they can overlap, right? Sometimes they're, they're, there's, in, in a way, they're all deceived. They can overlap. But teachers are held to a higher standard. And these are the men or women that John has in mind. Reject those teachers. Have nothing to do with them. For example, if an elder of the Latter-day Saints comes to your door, an elder, the proper response is probably just to tell them to repent, to leave, and to not talk to your neighbors, right? That's a good response for an elder of the Latter- a teacher of the Latter-day Saints. Why don't you, I, you know, thanks for stopping by. No thank you. Please don't talk to anybody on the way out. That is the proper response. But if you're getting coffee with your Mormon friend, your Mormon neighbor who has been deceived by these lies, don't make a scene, right? Don't make a scene. Love them. Talk to them about, uh, about why this is in, an issue. Talk to them about Jesus. Share Christ with them. Pity them in their situation. That's good. Love your neighbor, right? Some of us may have friends or family who are caught up in these teachings. We have to love them. We have to serve them. We have to talk to them. We have to pray for them. These are people who have been lied to and they've been preyed upon by wolves claiming the name of Christ. Show these friends and family members the truth of the gospel. That the Lord of life offers them eternal life in Him. The true Him. That they can cast off their yoke of bondage And cling to the true Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you see the Father. So bear witness to this truth to those who may be lied to. But John says, But as for you, little children, let the word that you had heard from the beginning abide in you. So again, he flips it back to the church. He's saying, Beware of these false people who are coming in, right? But, But let's talk about you now. Right? Let's go back to you. Abide in the word which you have heard from the beginning. If you heard from the beginning, if, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the hope of the gospel. That we abide in the Son, and in the Son we abide in the Father. When we hear the calls from the world to turn from Christ, we are to hear the voice that we had heard from the beginning. The voice of Christ. And this is because not only is it truth, but because there is a promise that is attached to this voice. There is no promise attached to those who teach falsely. There is a promise attached to the voice of Christ. The world offers all kinds of empty promises. But John says that that world is passing away. That world is temporal. That world is not everlasting. Only Jesus offers us a promise that he is faithful to fulfill. The promise of eternal life. And this is where truth actually leads. The light of truth leads us to everlasting life. 
All the promises of the world lead to nothing but emptiness. Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. Trust not in the wisdom of the world, but cling to the wisdom of Christ that leads to life and life eternal. And part of this clinging to the wisdom of Christ is clinging to one another. It's clinging to one another. We, have, we can be bombarded by a lot of garbage in the world, right? We get it every day. And sometimes, if we are not involved in each other's lives, if we are not ministering to one another, that garbage can stick. When we stick together, when we cling to one another as we cling to Christ, when we challenge one another with the Word, when we sing psalms together and to one another, when we pray for one another, our lives will be filled with that truth, that truth of the Gospel, the truth that we had heard from the beginning. And when our lives are filled with the truth, and we are united to one another by that truth, we can face the lies of this world with confidence and assurance in the promises of God. This is how the new world of Christ takes hold in the world around us. This is how the world is transformed as we are transformed from glory to glory. This is how the kingdom of God grows on earth. Faith-filled witness to the truth, clinging to one another as we cling to Christ. A new world has truly come. An old world has truly ended in a way. A new world has come in the person of Jesus Christ, and the old world has passed, is passing, and will pass away. And the promises of this new world, the promise of eternal life in Christ, is given to those who have the spirit of truth abiding in them. There are so many lies that are thrown at us from teachers of the world, from the academics, right, from the secular scientists, from the celebrities, from the journalists, the famous preachers that are out there. And there are so many lies regarding who Jesus is and what he actually taught. We must hold fast to that, that word which we heard from the beginning. That Jesus is the Christ and there is no life apart from him. Let the spirit of truth abide in you and you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And in the Son is life everlasting. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.